Anyway, my name is Carol and I'm married to Chris. That's why I was insulting him. I insult him most of the time. Um, and uh, we're just carrying on a series of talks by uh, a guy called Peter. I don't know how you pronounce his name. I think it's Gazzaro or something like that. Um, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I think we're doing them in, um, in some of the small groups as well. And we have so far... We've been looking at uh, knowing yourself, looking at our hearts, going back in order to go forward, breaking the power of our path, which um, Hannah did, journey through the wall, which Chris did, and we um, were talking about Daniel running his marathon, then he decided to collapse and be in hospital for the next three days. Um, and then uh, Suzanne talked about the rhythms of life, looking at the work-life rest balance, and then Linda Horseman uh, looked at enlarging your soul through grief and loss. That was a, a couple of weeks ago. One of the things is we've had um, you know, lots of different though, family services, remembrance services, so it's not been every single week. So today we're looking, at, we can just go back a slide, Brian, sorry. We're actually going to be looking at uh, learning to love well or how we can grow into an emotionally mature adult. Easy, <laughs> easy. It's a huge subject, and um, and if you re I'm just going to touch the absolute tiniest bo bit of this book, and I've preceded it a lot, and um, and what I'm going to do is really illustrate what he's saying through some of my own um, my own story and my own family story. Um, not done it before, so you have to just bear with me. Um, and when Pete Hughes did this talk, he took 45 minutes, and I'm going to hopefully do it in 20, but I'm never going to cover so much as he did. Anyway, Peter Scarazzo, if that's how you pronounce his name, says, Loving well is the goal of the Christian life. This is easier in our dreams than in practice, and it requires that we grow into an emotional adult. We, sorry, it requires that we grow into emotional adulthood in Christ. So what does it mean to be an emotionally mature adult? Well, I think Luke 10, verse 27, gives us that suggestion of what it looks like. It's loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind, everything about us, and loving our neighbours as ourselves. What a huge ask. How can we do that? We all grow old in years. But for many of us, I would say all of us, but wouldn't want to presume, have got stuck somewhere in our emotions. And that's where uh, the, the problems of developing into an emotionally mature adult probably has come. I think how we love, how we learn to love, how we love others, will have been affected by how we've actually been loved. I guess, initially, as how we were loved as children, where all the foundations were formed. How we were treated as children, what beliefs and behaviours we saw and we took on because of that. However, we can't just blame our parents on our own behaviours, on our own maturity. Our parents also had parents, and they were influenced by what happens to them and how they were brought up. So, for example, my mum had diphtheria when she was under five, 
And at that stage, diphtheria meant for many children death. She was hospitalized, she had a tracheostomy, and at that stage as well, you know, parents weren't encouraged to live in or stay in or even see their children. I think you were lucky if you saw them once a week. And I imagine having diphtheria meant that she was barrier nurse, she would have had, anyone that went to see her would have had aprons and masks on. And um, so the age of probably under five, it must have been a very, very scary thing for her to have. Anyway, she amazingly uh, recovered from diphtheria and came home. But not long after that, her own mother became very, very ill. And her and her sister were sent away to a convent because her father couldn't look after them. And sadly, whilst she was there, her mother died. And she was told by the nuns in a probably very insensitive way that her mother had died. And she couldn't understand why her older sister was crying. And I remember my mum telling me, you know, I was not going to cry. She wasn't going to give them the benefit. She had learnt to push emotions down and to survive. Anyway, they were, her, my mum and her sister were sent back to her father and uh, when they got back to their father, they found that uh, he had taken up residence with his best friend's wife, who my mum hated, and this lady hated my mother. And so she had yet more times of being unloved and uncared for, which was bad enough. And then, of course, the war broke out. And we you know last week we were thinking about the war, and Richard was sharing a bit of his story. And my mum my mum lived in London, and during the war, if you were a child, you were you were evacuated so that you were safe. So she was evacuated down to Wiltshire, and you were evacuated to people who had to take you. They didn't want you. They didn't want extra children in their house that was going to be a nuisance. They had to feed, and so she was placed in three different uh, homes, all of which hated her, all of which she, this is how she would describe it, all of which she would describe as she was made to be a slave. She basically did all the housework and, um, and had an absolutely horrid time. And as soon as she could, she left there and went into, uh, into lodgings. So when she had her children, what had she got to draw on in order to give us the best uh, chance of becoming emotionally mature. Um, what she passed on to us was, I guess, you need to be independent and you need to survive and probably you don't show any emotion. You push it all down. So it's very interesting that one of my earliest memories as a child is when I was five. Now, my mum, we used to have this little thing where um, I would climb onto my mum's knee and she would rock me and we'd have this little singing song going and she would be something like, mummy's got a baby, a baby, a baby, mummy's got a baby, a baby. And, uh, and it was lovely. And I, and, um, you know, I remember climbing onto my mum and, and, and going to do this rocking thing and song and she pushed me away. And she said, oh, you're too old for that now. So what did that, what did that do to me? 
I think it caused huge confusion. I didn't know why suddenly I was too old. I'd been doing it all the time. It was, no, I loved this sort of connection with her. I probably didn't have any other connection with her. She didn't show you know, lots of physical love or she wasn't demonstrative at all. And so I took it as rejection, okay? And probably did what she did, pushed everything down. And I guess, though, for me, that was my mum had, um, that was the only way that she'd show me that emotion. And then this time it was like, no, you don't need that anymore. That's it. Now, I'm not saying I was never loved or never cared for. Um, we had everything we need, and I had a very good relationship with my mum. But she just didn't demonstrate it uh, at all. When I, many years later, and I went through counselling for all these sort of things, um, I asked her, uh, about, uh, do you remember that time when I was five and I got on your knee? Because to me, it's like yesterday. And I climbed onto your knee and you pushed me away. And she said, no. <laughs> and she said, oh, probably I just thought you were, you know, you were too old. To her, it wasn't a big issue. But to me, it affected me, you no, know, hugely. But I have to accept that it was my interpretation of that event um, that, that, was my, that was my issue. Uh, but from that event, a lot of my own belief patterns have been formed. And I'm going to share, I have a lot of belief patterns, negative, no, wrong belief patterns that have occurred, but I'm going to just uh, share a couple of them with you. I'm going to share all of my baggage with you today. So the first thing is, um, I think, in rejection. So if I'm rejected in any way, like my mum pushed me away, I can take it very personally. I will withdraw and I'll feel totally unwanted. And this in turn has affected how I've been a parent. I've been very lucky. I got, you know, we've got two lovely children and uh, all through their childhood, we had lovely bedtime routines, bath, story, praying, singing, cuddles, lovely, lovely bedtimes until they became teenagers. And, uh, and, and I remember with both of them going in, they sort of, they probably had a bit of a huff and things, but going in assuming that, you know, they'd want a hug good night or something and, but no, turning their back, rejecting me. And so again, that whole sense of that, though, being that little five-year-old came back, I've been rejected. And so I took it totally to heart. Right. You no, know, that little child, that little five-year-old was speaking in my mind. Um, they don't want me. Okay. I won't do it again then. I didn't go back to them to try and rekindle that love and that relationship with them, which probably they really, really needed as they were struggling through all their emotions that um, adolescence brings. The other area that uh, it's affected me is in that I think I've become a, a, a conformer or, as Peter Scarazzo suggests, um, a false peacemaker. And I think because I didn't have that physical demonstrative love from my mum, I had to get love somewhere. We have to be loved. We've got to find love from somewhere. So I had to get it from somewhere else. And I got that by being the good girl. So I got my love from my mum by always getting my mum's approval. 
So my sister would always, on principle, disagree with my mum. If she said it was black, it was going to be white. You know, they were absolutely, always have been at sort of like loggerheads. Whereas if my mum said something was black and really it was white, I'd say it was black. You know, I agree with my mum because that way I got the love that I needed to. Well, that's all very well. But then that's had a, a knock-on effect now as to how I cope with conflict because I will avoid it at all costs. Because when life is fine, it's fine, isn't it? We can get on with everybody and everything's going smoothly and it's all great. But then when we have a conflict, when, someone, when there's a time when we really have to disagree, then my world freezes. I just don't know what to do with that conflict. I will freeze and I will become a little bit like that ostrich, ostrich that pushes their head down into the sand and basically just hopes it will all go away. And probably just like my mum, what I'm doing is pushing down all those feelings, hoping they'll go away. But of course, you can only push them down too much until they start overflowing. So you have to start dealing with them. Peter Scratzo talks about, um, in his book, the emotional behaviours of adults. I think it's the, uh, the other slide. Just carry on. Yeah. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Um, he talks about us being stuck in our emotions as an infant, as a child, or as an adolescent. And we get stuck there, but we grow in years but we don't grow in our emotions. And we start to behave as, adult, as adults, as a child or as an infant or as a teenager. And if we'd have time, which we haven't got, I would have, I've got a great, all the list of his different um, points of what makes you an, an infant and a child and a teenager, the traits that we have. But we get stuck very often because of situations that have happened in our lives at one of those stages. So you could say for me, that my emotional maturity got stuck at around about the age of five and I'm um, no, in between an infant and a child. Um, because that incident when I was five did affect my emotional maturity. I couldn't see really beyond the eyes of that five-year-old. So how do we move on? Well, fortunately, there is an answer. And the answer is to know that we are unconditionally loved by God. We have Jesus, which so many people know, choose to turn away from. And Ephesians 5 says, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We need to go right back to the beginning, to the basics, to know that we are truly loved, not by our inadequate parents who tried their best but failed, but knowing the love of a heavenly father who sent his son to die for us, that's how much he loved us. And how do we do that? Well, let's read the scriptures. Let's get totally immersed in his word. Let's listen to people who talk about love. Nicola Neal, who did our church weekend a few years ago, she just talks on love, love, love all the time. Hunger, hunger after God's love worship, just allow God to just ooze into your body, to just allow those words to feed us, feed our heart and soul and mind. Go off on quiet days, you know, to Crowhurst, Beauty for Ashes, go and spend time alone with God and let him speak to you about how much he loves you. 
And then read books on wholeness and healing and, and maturity and, and growing into maturity. And there's conferences around as well that we can go to. Because once we begin on that journey to know that we're loved, even if it's just a tiny, tiny mustard seed, we are moving on. We're learning to love. We're learning to become emotionally mature. And as we do that, we can move on to loving not just ourselves, but others as well. So to do that, I think there's four things that we need to do, which is that uh, slide 15 there. That's right. I had great fun with the slides. I hope you can read it and you probably can't actually. <laughs> um, the first thing we need to do is to recognize our wrong behaviors. Now, for, for me and maybe for you, actually, it's very hard to recognize our wrong behaviors because it's just all second nature. That's who we are. We don't even realize that we're doing anything wrong. We feel we're justified in how we're feeling. But once we ask God into our minds and into our souls and ask him to open our eyes to show us where perhaps some of the things that we're doing have come from poor beliefs, wrong beliefs, we can start to, we not be, to begin with even be able to name it. But we just start getting a sense of, oh, maybe things aren't quite right here. So the first thing is just to recognize it and ask God to open our eyes to give us new insights. And then it's acknowledging what's going on. Start to, oh, what's this feeling? Let's start to unpack. What is it? Start to name that feeling. Is it that I'm suppressing my emotion? Is it that I'm getting angry for no reason? What is it that's making me get angry or avoid? Now, I realized when um, our children were supposedly rejecting me that actually I needed to behave as the adult, not to behave as that five-year-old child was to them. I had to accept that I was perceiving rejection because of what had happened to me, not of what was really happening. I had to start to reach out to them, even though for me it was a huge battle because I didn't want to be rejected back. Then we have to repent of those wrong behaviours or thoughts. We have to start changing our thought patterns. We, um, we need to start behaving in certain ways to look at the ways that we did behave and to start thinking, how can I change from that? And to say sorry. So I had to repent of my attitude to the children. Now, I was the adult. I shouldn't have behaved as I had to them. And, um, yeah, and, and we've had some interesting discussions about uh, how, how they were as teenagers and those bedtime uh, stories and those bedtime rejections. Interestingly, only this year, and uh, and very interestingly, the um, the day that we we buried my mum's ashes at Burswood, this only earlier this year, and she died 15 years ago. Um, but so it's it's a long journey, a long long journey. And then there's forgiveness. We have to forgive them. We have to forgive others, and we also have to forgive ourselves. Because inside, when my children rejected me at that, that particular point, I was really cross with them. I was really hurt. And, but I couldn't have told you that's what I felt at that time because my feelings were so pushed down, I couldn't have named that feeling. And I probably was just feeling like I did at that, that, child, that child of five. That child, when I was five, I didn't know what I was feeling. And it was the same when um, I was a lot older than that. I needed to forgive them for their actions and ask them to accept forgiveness 
uh, for me, and I also had to ask God for uh, forgiveness for my way I behaved. Anyway, once we've done all that, the way is clear. Because then our eyes can start to be opened. We can start seeing things. Not from that, for me, like it was that, that child of five. We can start actually, we've got rid of that, those false perceptions. We can start seeing them from God's eyes. Now, it took me very, a long time, many, many years, to actually ask my mum why she'd pushed me away. And, and, um, and she didn't give me the answer that I was looking for. I thought she'd say, oh, no, of course I loved you, and I don't know why I did it. And, but she didn't. She, just, she always was, no, very matter of fact, oh, no, I just thought, you know, you were too old for that. But I had to forgive my mum for my perceived rejection, and that was part of my journey of being released from that power of rejection. In um, the, uh, the book... The emotion. Oh, happened there. Um, Peter Scazzaro. I wish I could say. I wish I had an easier name to say. <laughs> Scazzaro's book. He talks about um, someone called Martin Buber, who talks about my world and your world, and the I and going from I it to I thou. Just looking at things from my perspective to looking at things from others' perspectives. And when we start to do that, it allows us to look at things from we just go on to the next slide thanks it allows us to look not just at my my world not just at your world but actually asking God to come into that middle and see things through his lens now I'm a Strictly Come Dancing fan absolutely love it and uh, and, and if you are a Strictly Come Dancing fan you'll remember Len Goodman and um, he used to do uh, uh, no on their results show we look through lens lens and and through here we look through God's lens because we're actually we see um, other people's worlds through God's lens through God's way it's not just our world that we see it says and it's a bit like um, if any of you are familiar with the Jahari window very often what we see in front of us isn't necessarily the whole story behind it there's a whole lot of other things and as we see things through through God's eyes we see the, the the bigger picture so what do we need to do well, this is an absolutely brilliant book called Keep Your Love On, which Katie and Steve Powney are doing the course to. And, uh, and if you're not doing the course, read the book. Um, and if they do the course again, do the course. Absolutely amazing book on love. Um, and he suggests that we need to communicate well, we need to connect well, and we need to create healthy boundaries. And we do this, I think, by learning to listen. There's a huge power in listening. Listening enables us to feel valued, to feel heard. So when we listen, if, if we'd had time, I'd have got thought to do a like, listening exercise, but we haven't got time. But um, if you do, when we do listen, when you listen to people, give them time. Don't just jump in when they're speaking. Often when someone's telling you something, you want to say, oh yeah, you know, I did that. Oh, I can really relate to that. But don't. Let people speak. Let them explain their situation. Don't interrupt them. Be open-minded. Try and see what they're saying through God's eyes. And at the end of it, reflect back to them what you think you've heard so they know they've been understood. And, um, and just remember your body language, because you can do all that and give the really bad impression if your body language is sort of looking angry or disinterested. 
Then um, the next thing we can do is to speak well. So this is our turn, in a way, to put our sides, to state our thoughts, our views, and our feelings concisely. To remember that we have got a right to say, uh, to share our views. We've got a voice. And this is something that I've had to battle with in my head um, all the time. Whenever I want to know, face conflict or disagree in something, I feel like I'm that little five-year-old again, not being able to say anything. And yet in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says, Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We have got a voice so we can speak it out. And then we use that time to correct the other person if you feel that they've misinterpreted you. And just like when we listen, we have to think about body language. When we speak, remember our tone of voice. And then it's about respecting each other. To respect each other, even if our opinions don't agree. To check out that you and they haven't made any assumptions. And then to choose your time appropriately to address these things. Now, I remember um, one night, one of our children coming home very drunk and um, very sick and a great gash on his head. Oh, sorry, you know now who he is. <laughs> and, uh, and, pardon? No, I wasn't up. No, no, I was just about to say that. And Chris saying to him, you know, just go to bed. <laughs> there was no point in having a go at him at that point then and there. It had to be addressed, you know, when we were feeling calm, when he was sober, and we could look at it in the, the, you know, the cold light of day. We need to choose our time. But it's so easy, isn't it? You know, child slams the door, you want to just react. It's, it's so, so easy. So if we can improve our communication, we will love others better because we can understand them more and we can then see them through God's eyes. Not just through our own, um, not just through our own experiences, but we can step out of our world and into theirs. Our connection with others will improve because we feel understood and valued. And healthy relationships then will be built on trust rather than on uncertainty. True respect and mutually agreed boundaries will follow so that we can love others as Christ loved us. So, children are back in. So, just to close. Now, I'm aware that I've shared my, a bit of my spiritual journey, emotional spiritual journey with you, which may well be very different to yours. I'm sure, I'm sure, and I hope it is. And, and I do apologize if it's something you can't relate to. But I do hope that if you can't relate to it, it will at least help you understand how others might feel and behave. I haven't got there yet. I'm still learning. I love it. It's learning. It's an ongoing thing. I'm still learning to love well. I'm becoming an emotionally mature spiritual person, I hope. But it's going to take a lifetime and it's going to go up and down. And it's a bit like that onion skin. You just think you get through one and another one comes and with it usually comes tears. But we can take steps to try and um, uh, to be guided by God in all that we do with our interactions with others. We can immerse ourselves in God's love, recognizing what he's done for us, what his love cost him. And then we can, we can begin to respond to the situations that we face as he would, so that we can become that emotionally mature person. 
So to end, I've just put some questions to ask ourselves, really. Do we ever, do you ever, have we ever, have you ever reacted from an emotional stage, from being an infant, from being a child or a teenager, that doesn't relate to your chronological age? Are there particular things that cause us to react in certain ways? Perhaps it's conflict, perhaps it's rejection, perhaps it's other things, which may make us respond inappropriately with anger, fear, fight, flight, freeze, or be that people pleaser or avoider. And most importantly, really, because if we get this right, we've got a chance of getting everything else put into place. Do we know that we are loved and accepted by God? So let's just pray. Lord God, I just pray that you would open our eyes, that you would show us any areas where we are stuck and we need your help. Lord, we ask that you would show us your unconditional love for us. Lord, would you give us time to seek your face and to know that you, you love us just so much. And that, Father, from that love, we would be rooted in you that you would transform us into your likeness.